Hello and welcome to a very special quarantine, quarantine stream on our day of Jubilee. The day, if, if you're listening to this back, this is one Trump lost. Bless our hearts. And it seems like a weird topic, but we're going to go ahead and we're going to talk about the Pact of Ice and Fire because I was writing this last night, uh, trying to distract myself from the stress of the election. And oh, got some super chats too. Um, I don't, I don't have a lot of this written. I didn't even get a post the chance to post the outline because there's barely an outline. It's more like a lot of quotes. Um, but so, <laughs> it doesn't have a lot of connection to the election. This is just a um, a thing that happened in Westerosi history. Um, this is, this is going to be a hard transition, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the Pact of Ice and Fire, if you guys don't remember, is a a deal that was made between House Targaryen and House Stark during the Dance with the Dragons that was never paid off by the Targaryens. And it's one of those things that's kind of lingering in the back of the head. Um, back of the head of readers and George as well, when you're trying to play out what's going to happen in the future. Uh, especially when you're talking about John and Danny, or just some combinations of Starks and the Targaryens, as there seems to be at two Targaryens running around in Westeros, maybe three, and quite a lot of eligible Starks. So as always, if you could, um, you know, slam that like button, subscribe, uh, hit, the, hit the bell button if you want notifications, if you want to support me, um, and the channel, there's Patreon, there's Super Chats, actually got two of those, um, one, oh wait, uh, yeah, two? Uh, Ramona uh, Zamfir, she sent uh, $10 via PayPal saying it's $10 well spent. Thank you, Ramona. And uh, $5 from Danny McKay saying happy sa a very happy Saturday, Danny McKay. Um, I also wanted to shout out my newest patron. That is Archmaester Mullen or Liam Mullen. He's in the chat. I saw him earlier. Um, thank you very much for doing that. Appreciate it. Uh, there seems to be something weird going on with Patreon. There's a whole lot of declines. I don't really know why. Uh, mine got declined too. Maybe there's something wrong with their software. Anyway, just something to check. Um, also coming up soon, the videos on the five-year gap and also um, the true identity of the Tattered Prince. Those will be coming at basically the same time. They're going to be kind of joint videos. Along with that, we're going to relaunch the channel art. Um, Sanrixian, who's hanging out in the chat. Here's to you, Sanrixian. Posted your amazing Dario. Um... <laughs> The amazing Lou Dario. She made a lot of great art for the channel. Uh, you've probably seen it on Twitch and Twitter. Um, I've been sharing it on Patreon ahead of time. Uh, that stuff will all be going up alongside. Um, Going to be putting out like um, like a general merchandise stuff. So t-shirts, sweatshirts, mugs, stickers, all that stuff. I'm going to try and do some meme ones too. I want to make a um, <laughs> I want to make an ass waffle one with uh with the peach and the waffle for ass waffle. That's that's my dream. I'm going to try and get that one done. Uh, along with some other stuff. So that's all coming. Um, so the this is one of those really strange things that kind of only came up in Fire and Blood. It was mentioned before in the um, it was mentioned before in the in the books previously, but it really came out in Fire and Blood. Um, the details of this pact, which was between Cregan Stark and um, and Rhaenyra Targaryen. So I got the I got a quote here to start off with. <laughs> The snows lay deep upon the ground. A cold wind was howling from the north, and Lord Stark was in the midst of preparations for the coming winter, yet he gave Jaceres a warm welcome. Snow and ice and cold made Vermax ill-tempered, it is said, so the prince did not linger long amongst the Northmen, but many a curious tale came out of that short sojourn. Gurm's setting up a mystery for us, and this is one of those, um, those classic mysteries that Gurm introduced in Fire and Blood, where he doesn't tell us exactly what happened, 
he just sort of tells you the basic outline of it and then gives you a bunch of bit different stories and goes, Ooh, be Sherlock Holmes. Oh, figure it out yourself. Um, but I think the, the important place to start with for the Pact of Ice and Fire is what's the background of this? Like, why, why did it ever happen that the Starks and the Targaryens did make a pact between themselves? What is the pact? Like, why was it necessary? And it starts with Viserys the first Targaryen. Not that Viserys, a very different Viserys. This Viserys was actually pretty cool. He seemed to be a nice guy. He was generous. He was open-handed. Everyone seemed to like him. Um, he ruled for a pretty long time. Um, he managed to keep the realm out of war and pretty much keep Daemon Targaryen under wraps, which is a hard thing to do. Daemon Targaryen is not, the Rogue Prince is not the kind of guy that um, sort of stays out of trouble. And Viserys did a pretty good job doing that. He sort of gets this reputation in the books and in the histories as being like kind of a pushover king, but it doesn't really seem that way. Like it sort of seems like he's what Robert would have been like if he had not been super depressed over the death of Lyanna. Um, and if he was actually interested in being a king, it seems like Viserys, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't a, a stern king that flew around with the dragon threatening everybody. He was more a guy who um, tried to win friends and through that tried to rule, which given what we've been through in the last few years, that is a, that would be a welcome change. Maybe I have a different perspective on Viserys now that um, the Trump area is over. But yeah. Um, oh, you thought we <laughs> uh, Kate, Women of Ice and Fire, thought we were going to do the Pact of the Throne of Force. That is going to come up. But no, this is the Pact of Ice and Fire between House Targaryen and House Stark. I mean, House Targaryen. Whoops. Um, so what exactly happened here? So Viserys was named the heir to the Iron Throne during the Great Council of 101. And the Great Council of 101 is incredibly fucked up and for a lot of reasons. The biggest one being that it was Jaehaerys the first idea. Um, for some reason, he decided that he couldn't just name an heir. He needed his lords to help him do it, which is totally unclear why he needed to do that. Um, before this, the Targaryen monarchy and the inheritance structure was pretty much absolute. Um, there's been suspicions for a long time that he did it specifically because he didn't want, uh, Rhaenys, the queen who never was to inherit. Um, and through her, well then through her, through Lena and Lenor Valarian. Um, this is one of those things that's, that's kind of funny the way George writes it, where he writes the houses in terms of, um, rat, like last names being the most important thing when they usually in real life, they would have a much more broad understanding of dynasties or they could change their last names. Like if Lenor Valarian became king, it's very likely he could have just changed his name to Targaryen. But anyway, that, that's besides the point. It's pretty much, it seems to be that he did not want um, female preference or it's called cognatic primogeniture to be a part of Westeros inheritance. So he put it to the great council who did him a solid. And instead of naming um, Lenor or Lena, they instead went down Jaehaerys's um, family tree through Balon Targaryen and found his oldest son, Viserys. <clears throat> and Viserys won most of the votes. We don't really know who supported him, but um, it's said that he won a four to one victory, that Viserys, and it, it kind of makes sense why. He was an affable guy. He was very happy to please. He was gregarious. He, he just liked having a good time. And he's the sort of person that uh, some of the more cynical lords thought they could manipulate. Uh, yeah, it's yes. Lenor was a guy. Lenor Valarian. It's also important to talk about at this point that 
it seems that the reason the Great Council came about was um, because of the influence of Otto Hightower. After most of Jaehaerys' kids had died, and Septon Barth and Alysanne, somehow Otto Hightower, Lord of the Hightower, wormed his way into King's Landing and made himself hand to the king. And more than that, he um, was able to essentially make Alicent Hightower Jaehaerys' companion or nurse or something. She basically spent all of her time with him as he got older and as he slipped into dementia, it said. Um, so it's you can we can probably assume that Otto Hightower was not only behind the idea of being planted in Jaehaerys' head that a great council should happen, but also how the vote should go. That um, it seemed, it's, it's probably likely that he played on Jaehaerys' fears of his older sister, Reyna, and, um, and the way that he constantly like lived in fear that she was going to declare herself Queen of the Seven Kingdoms and usurp him. And um, yeah, although there was a big problem with, um, <laughs> with, um, with making Viserys the heir to the Iron Throne, and that was Daemon Targaryen, Daemon the Rogue Prince as he would come to be known. By, in, by making Viserys the heir to the Iron Throne, you make Daemon the second heir because Viserys did not have a son at that point. So that was something that the High Towers and the rest of the realm were like crossing their fingers like, man, I hope Daemon doesn't kill Viserys and end up on the Iron Throne because Daemon's a shithead. This will be terrible for us. Um, I also wanted to like just make a quick point that this whole going against cognatic inheritance, the idea that it's male preference or male only primogeniture that they put into this the rest of westeros like jaehaerys and allison and then balon and Alyssa, um who uh whoever Viserys's parents were all incest marriages and daemon the daemon the, the guy they feared the guy the rogue prince the guy that they didn't want on the iron throne they put him in the line of inheritance the rest of westeros would rather see a uh child of incest and then one of the most dangerous men in westeros on the iron throne rather than letting women possibly inherit. That's kind of fucked up. Um, I don't think there's a, there's, there's not really another way to read it. That was the choice they made. All the things that they said like, oh no, Targaryens and incest, this is horrible, we can't do this. They threw it away. They threw those, those concerns well away when it came time to let women inherit. Um, didn't want to do it. Um, yeah, Damon does have a pretty good name. Um, so we, we also know very little about Viserys' early life. Uh, we just really know that he was married to Emma Aaron and he had one, no, he had um, three children with her, Rhaenyra Targaryen, and then two sons that died um, very shortly after childbirth. Um, after he was made heir, he just sort of went along with his life. Um, Jaehaerys dies in 104 AC. Viserys becomes king and instantly makes Otto Tower his hand of the king. Now, this could be that um Viserys knew Otto and knew him as a capable hand and didn't really know how to run a realm yet so he's empowering Otto but another way to see this considering with the marriages that come later is maybe Viserys's uh rise to power was contingent on making a deal with Otto Hightower that the whole scheme may have gone through Otto and essentially making a promise that he would keep Otto in power and Alicent at court. Um, it's not said explicitly in the books, but you have to assume that maybe that Alicent was working on the series for quite a long time, maybe as a mistress. But um, you have to, I, I, you have to think that maybe she was also making a run at Damon as well. 
because it seems like the high towers really just wanted a high tower on the throne by through Alicent at any costs. Um, yeah, I, I really do think the Great Council and all that came about because of Otto Hightower's machinations, basically. Uh, can Damon be compared to Joffrey? Um, maybe in like temperament, but Damon is like Joffrey, but Damon's a grown up man. Uh, I think Damon's closer to like, um, like a Jamie Lannister type as he was originally conceived by George before he turned him into Golden Hand the Just. The, the Jamie Lannister that was going to, um, kill his way to the Iron Throne. That was, that was his original plan. Jamie was going to be that kind of guy. So I think Damon's sort of more in that vein. Think Jamie, uh, in the early books, the Jamie that shoves Bran out the window. And that's probably closer to what Damon is like. Um, I'm just suggesting, Isabel, that, um, basically the Hightower seems so laser focused on finding a way to get themselves on the Iron Throne that when Emma Aaron was still alive, um, and Damon was doing whatever he was doing, you have to imagine that Allison took a pass at both of them. It seems to be that was the whole thing. That's what they were trying to do, especially with the marriage that later came. Um, but yeah, so Viserys appoints Otto Hightower as Hand of the King. Damon is still considered a threat. And at this point, he's the heir to the Iron Throne because according to the newly, um, newly stamped Great Council, um, Rhaenyra cannot inherit. Therefore, it's going to go from Viserys to Damon. And in order to pacify him, instead of giving Damon a real seat of power, he gives Damon command of the City Watch. At the time, was not a particularly important job, but Damon, being who he is, um, kind of power hungry, pretty ruthless, he turns the gold cloaks from a City Watch into essentially his personal army. Um, and at this time, most in the realm thought that was pretty dangerous because maybe Damon was going to use them to usurp the Iron Throne. Um, not that surprising to think about considering he later crowned himself and the people he killed and a, and a seducing of his niece in order to get there. So th those probably seem well-founded that he was on his way. Um, so only a year after Viserys takes the throne, Emma Aaron dies in childbirth and that leaves Viserys no male heir. Although he did have two sons in the meantime, uh, both of the second and third kids were sons who died shortly after after um, after birth. So Viserys still has a problem. <laughs> and so does the rest of the realm. They're getting to know Damon and they're like, oh, shit, this is a problem. And it's actually Otto Hightower that goes to Viserys and says, you need to make Rhaenyra your heir um, because Damon is the worst, <laughs> which fair. But Viserys doesn't want to hear it. He loves his brother. Um, he trusts him. Um, and it's, he's next in line by rights, according to the great council. So Viserys isn't going to do anything about it. And then comes the story of a joke. Supposedly while in the, uh, the street of silk, Damon Targaryen makes a joke about Viserys's last child. The one that died in childbirth, the one that killed Emma Aaron was a, the heir for a day. I don't know if this happened. Nobody really knows if it does. I would be, I would be surprised if it actually did. Um, because it seems like such a perfectly placed story in order to drive a wedge between Viserys and Damon, repeated by Otto Hightower to Viserys, and that's essentially what happens. It drives a wedge between them. Viserys is so mad at this supposed joke that happened that he disinherits Damon and essentially exiles him. In the process, he makes Rhaenyra Targaryen his his only child, his heir. And at that point, starts grooming her to become um the next monarch of the seven kingdoms 
And it's all because of this one joke that who knows if it was actually said. I again, I, I would suspect not. The Hightower seems so interested in creating a Targaryen civil war that it seems highly unlikely that it actually happened. Although Damon is an asshole. <laughs> so if anyone would make that joke, it would be Damon. But it's just so convenient. I, I would have a hard time believing that such a perfectly placed gift to Otto Hightower would just drop like that. And it's it's sort of yeah, uh, guilty undertaker. Guilty undertaker says like all good rumors. It's possible Damon might have said something like that, even if he didn't. That's that's the the seed of truth there. That Viserys and the rest of the the rest of the court assumes Damon would be pretty happy about this kid and Emma Aaron dying um, because of the way because of it um, leaving him as heir to the Iron Throne. So. But this this becomes a very, very big problem for Viserys and for Otto Hightower. What's the problem? Well, if you remember the Great Council 101, the one that made Viserys king of Westeros, it decreed that women cannot inherit the Iron Throne. And more than that, they are functionally dead to the Iron Throne. Not even their children can inherit. That was the whole point with um, with Rhaenys and Laenor and Lena. The Great Council decided that even though she was older, even her children could not inherit the Iron Throne. That was the precedent they set. And yeah, Viserys is essentially saying, you know what, never mind on that. Rhaenyra is heir to the Iron Throne. She's going to be queen next. And he recognizes this is going to be a problem. <clears throat> yeah, I'll see you later, Scott Larock. Thanks for stopping by. Um, so Viserys calls every lord and knight in the Seven Kingdoms he can to come to, to, come to King's Landing and they swear one by one <laughs> to honor Rhaenyra as the heir to the Seven Kingdoms, that they will defend her claim that when she is monarch, they will serve her. Um, yes, that, Brian, that's what happened afterwards. He knew this this was going to be a problem. And then he did the thing where he called them all to Westeros, I mean, to King's Landing and made them swear. Um, and this is one of those times where you can see that Viserys is not quite the idiot that he's made out to be in Fire and Blood. Like he recognizes what he's doing is going to be a big problem for a lot of those lords who voted for him because it, se it seems very likely that a lot of them did it to make sure that, um, that their sisters would inherit over them. They didn't want to change the inheritance structure. Um, and he's essentially thumbing his nose at that in order to remove Damon from the line of succession. Um, yeah, it is kind of adorable. Yeah, good call. <laughs> it's adorable. He thought they would keep their words, but at least he recognized there was a problem and sort of got them all on the record that they would be oath breakers in order to rebel when Rhaenyra took the throne versus Daemon. Um, Daemon, as we know, essentially took a different tack to this rather than eventually rebelling against Rhaenyra himself. He decided to start seducing his niece, Gross. It's a lot of stories about it. Most of them, again, are probably true about Daemon that he was grooming her in a very different way from a young age um, to make her fall in love with him. Um, now, one important thing, thing that happened here is that when I say all the lords, he really did mean all of them. And supposedly the Starks of Winterfell, we don't know which lord at the time it was. It was either uh, Rickon or Benjen Stark, the grandfather or the father of, um, of Cregan Stark that did take this oath and swore to defend Rhaenyra's claim, which was a choice. Um, and... I bring this up because the Starks and the Northerners and the First Men have a very different idea about oaths than the Southerners do. They take them extraordinarily seriously. Um, in, in their minds, it's not just a pact between two people. It's almost like an everlasting pact. And I was talking about this earlier, like the pact between the children and the First Men, the, um, you know, the, the, the big pact itself, the one that ended the war between the humans and the children. 
that one's still in effect. The Northerners still act like it's real. Um, and then you also hear from Jojen Reed and Mira Reed their whole oath about um, fire, ice and fire, and then um, copper and iron. And I forget the third ones, but the the, the Northern uh, structure of how their vows work and how they stay loyal to each other is very, very serious. So when when we're talking about the fact that the Starks swore fealty to defend Rhaenyra, it's not just with that particular lord. It's very likely that going forwards, the rest of the, the Starks would take that as binding on themselves. I mean, this is probably a question for old learned hands, uh, Mary and Clint, but it, there's, you know, the, George has inserted history to let us know that the Starks would not forget this and not let this go, that they would consider this forever, basically. Um, okay, so what's what's going on here? So why we're, we're past the point of the oath, we're going to fast forward to the Dance of the Dragons. The Dance of the Dragons breaks out, and in the meantime, um, Viserys ended up remarrying to Alicent Hightower. Wow, big shocker. Has a bunch of kids. And when Viserys dies, Aegon II and the Hightowers essentially stage a coup while uh, Rhaenyra is on Dragonstone, um, ruling as the princess of Dragonstone, the heir to the Iron Throne. Earth and water, bronze and iron, ice and fire. Thank you, Guilty Undertaker. Yeah, they take their oath seriously. But um, they raise up in rebellion, Aegon II and the Hightowers making the claim that Rhaenyra cannot inherit due to the Great Council of 101 and also because they hold King's Landing, basically. <laughs> Um, and Sunfire. Sunfire is important. And say that Rhaenyra is not the true heir, crowns himself, and the war kicks off. Now, the very first thing that happens is that Rhaenyra remembers that all these lords swore oaths to her, and she wants to know which ones are still loyal. And to do that, she sends out her sons, um, Jace and... Ooh, what's the other one? Hang on a second. Oh, by the way, I talked about this in my um, House Strong stream. These are... Strong's. These are Breakbones, um, Harwin Strong's children with Rhaenyra, not the ones with Damon. So it's Jace, uh, Jaceres, known as Jace, and Lucerius, known as Luke, that are sent out on their dragons to go essentially around Westeros and make deals with the, the great lords of Westeros in order to secure their, um, secure their loyalty. Because they know they swore oaths, but they need to make sure. So there's some really funny stories about this. So for instance, Jace goes to, um, Luke goes to Storm's End, but Jace goes to the Vale, and then he goes to King's Landing. Now in a very strong story, something that reminds you of Luke Amore the Lusty or Dunk, um, the story goes that when, <laughs> when Jace got to uh, the Vale, there was a lady of the Vale ruling at the time, and the story goes that he had to perform uh, fellatio on her um, in order to secure <laughs> the loyalty of the Vale. Um, I don't know if that's true. It's certainly an interesting story. It's one that lines up with the sort of thing the Strongs would do, and with the story we get later that we're going to talk about in a little bit about um about Jace. But um, he essentially had to sexually please her in order to get his way. Which sure, why not? Got to introduce some horniness in the Westeros, I guess. Seems a little seems a little um not that great a return for loyalty in a war. So I would doubt that's what happened. But he may have had to essentially woo her or um, or essentially make her like him very fast because he had a lot of places he had to stop with. Yeah, it's a weird part. It's one of those like mushroom stories that comes out where it's like, wait, what? What the fuck are you talking about? Why is this in here? George does that stuff all the time. Um, so secures the loyalty of the veil. 
um, then moves on to the north. So that's one Lord Paramount down. They want the other one. They want the north one. Um, they, the Targaryens are aware that it's unlikely that the Starks will have broken their honor as their house and their ancestors that they would have taken up with Aegon II, even though the inheritance structure doesn't work for them, but they still have to go check. <laughs> um, so Jace gets on Vermax and he flies to Winterfell and finds that it's not Rickon or Benjen, it is Cregan Stark, the old man of the north. Uh, that would, as he would eventually become to known, who had seized control of Winterfell um, a few years earlier when he turned 16 and his uncle decided he wanted to rule Winterfell and Cregan said, nah, that's not happening, throws his uncle and his cousins into jail, seizes control of Winterfell himself, and um, <laughs> yes, he did write smut about Westeros, you know, but it doesn't mean it's not true, though. There's a lot, there's a lot of smut out there about Jamie and Cersei, and it turns out that shit's true. So Jace um, flies north, and there's uh, a big long passage here. It's initially when we're talking, when we hear about the Pact of Ice and Fire, we don't get a lot of detail about it. It's just that Jace went up there, um, pact was made. Eventually, Cregan and the Winter Wolves uh, enter the the war on the side of the of the um, of Rhaenyra or the Blacks, I guess. But the story of how this happened is something got really expanded in Fire and Blood, and it seems like George had a lot of fun putting himself in horny jail because the story gets even wilder. Uh, so here we go. I have it pulled up for us. I'm just going to read a bunch of it. Munkin's true telling says that Cregan and Jaceres took a liking to each other for the boy prince reminded the Lord of Winterfell of his own younger brother who had died 10 years before. This is apart from my House Wrong video, by the way. This whole part right here, when I introduced the fact that the Starks suddenly really like Jace when they don't normally like Targaryens. And it's probably maybe it's because um, Jace was acting like a strong, like a first man and had some sort of connection there. Def he, Jace is very an unusual Targaryen to say the least. Actually, he's a Valarion, but um, you know what I mean. Um, so it goes, they drank together, hunted together, trained together and sworn oath of brotherhood sealed in blood. Okay, so that's that's a pretty um, tame story about Cregan and Jace. They essentially were best bros forever, high fived each other and made an oath of brotherhood and that's how they sealed the pact of ice and fire okay then we get the one from septon eustace this seems more credible than septon eustace's version wherein the prince spends most of his visit attempting to persuade lord creed and give up his false gods and accept the worship of the seven uh that i don't even that that can't be true why would you why would you do that when you're trying to secure a an alliance why would you make it contingent on changing religions when you need him. It's not like um, Rhaenyra is in a position of power and she's trying to negotiate something. They need Cregan's help. There's no way that one is true. That's such a crazy thing to put in there. Um, and then we get to the spicy one. <laughs> this is the spicy one. <laughs> uh, so, but we turn to Mushroom to find the tales other chronicles omit, nor does he fail us now. Yeah, Mushroom's, Mushroom's account is this is the good one. <laughs> His account introduces a young maiden or wolf girl, as he dubs her with the name of Sarah Snow. So smitten was Prince Jaceres with this creature, a bastard daughter of the Lord uh, of the late Lord Rickon Stark, that he lay with her of a night. Again, I actually believe this part. This probably sounds true because the stories about the Strongs and Jace seem to line up with this. On learning that his guest had claimed the maiden hand of his bastard sister, Lord Cregan became most wroth and only softened when Sarah Snow told him the prince had taken her for his wife. Yikes. They'd spoken their vows in the Winterfell's own godswood before Hart Tree, 
and only then had she given herself to him, wrapped in furs amidst the snow as the old gods looked on. All right, so that's some voyeur shit. That's some, that's, that's some stuff. Um, we know this is Breakbones' child. We know Breakbones is related to Lucamore the Lusty. We, uh, we surmise that the Duncan the Tall is part of the Strong family. George is very much on board with making the Strongs as horny as possible. That's like their whole thing. It's actually, he went ahead to introduce the, um, the Strongs into the Baratheon family almost as a way to like explain why there was such a change in them, why they suddenly started becoming like gigantic warriors when they were initially just like um, just dark haired uh, Valyrian bastards. And why they're so, why Robert seems so much like um, the Strongs himself. It's, it's this whole idea that he loves thinking about of these gigantic horny guys. <laughs> yes, Sarah's like, put a ring on it. Yeah. <laughs> the seed is very strong with the, with the strong. So I definitely, I believe this one. I believe this is the true one, especially because George seems to be having the most fun with it. The other two were like throwaway lines. And this one, he's like, Oh, let me tell you a story. Um, all right. So then he goes out of his way to essentially tear it down. Um, this makes for a charming story to be sure, but as with, as with many of Mushroom's fables, it seems to partake more in a fool's fevered imaginings than of a historical truth. Yeah, George. Sure, man. Jaceres Valarian had been betrothed to his cousin Bela since he was four and she was two. For all we know of his character, it seems most unlikely that he would break such a solemn agreement to protect the uncertain virtue of some half-wild, unwashed northern bastard. <laughs> yeah, man. Sure. Oh, thank you for the super chat, Cam Cam. Uh, Two dollars. Kreeg and Stark and the Hour Wolf Chase did it. I agree. Uh, very generous. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Um, yeah, George, I, I, sure you, you put in all the problems with that story, except for the fact that 15 year olds are horny and dumb. In fact, that's the main part of Song of Ice and Fire. The teenagers are horny and dumb and do, and do, and do stupid things like this. I mean, it probably has nothing to do with John and Egret, right? I mean, John, John Snow's, oh wait, he's a stupid 15 year old. Wait, he basically married Egret and nailed her like a thousand times. Huh. Hmm. Wonder if that's a connection. Um, uh, here we go. If indeed there ever lived a Sarah Snow, if indeed the Prince of Dragonstone perchance to dally with her, <laughs> dally, okay, that is no more than other princes have done in the past and will do on the morrow, but the talk of marriage is preposterous. So essentially George is walking it back and saying, yes, they did bone, but they didn't get married. Okay, sure, man. Um, sure, sure, sure. Mushroom also claims that Vermax left a clutch of dragon's eggs at Winterfell, which is equally absurd. While it is true that turning the sex of a living dragon is nigh impossible task, nor the sources mentions Vermax producing so much as a single egg, so it's assumed that he was male. Septon Barth speculates, Septon Barth speculations that the dragons change sex at need, being as mutable as flame, is too ludicrous to consider. Actually, that part's true, so you can cast doubt on everything being said here. Um, this we do know. Cregan Stark and Jocerius Velaryon reached an accord and signed and sealed this agreement that Grand Maester Munkin calls the Pact of Ice and Fire in his true telling. Like many such pacts, it was to be sealed with a marriage. Lord Cregan's son, Rickon, was a year old. Prince Jocerius was as yet unmarried and childless, but it was assumed that he would sire children of his own once his mother sat the Iron Throne. Of course he would, he's a strong, he was going to have like a thousand kids. Under the terms of the pact, the prince's firstborn daughter would be sent north at the age of seven to be fostered at Winterfell until such time as she was old enough to marry Lord Cregan's heir. Hmm. Okay. So let's break this down. So pretty much it's for certain that Jason Snare Snow, Snare Snow did exist. They almost for certain had sex, um, probably fell in love very, very quickly. 
um, and the, the pack was signed. I, the part about the dragon eggs is one of those curious ones because um, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Why would Jace leave behind dragon eggs when he already... I mean, the, the daughter of the ruling monarch is a powerful, powerful asset if you're talking about just sort of medieval power and court structure. Like, that is promising that to the Lord of the North is a huge deal. That's already a, that's already a great, great prize for any Lord to get. But um, why would he go further? Why, why this story about the dragon eggs? Um, there's also a few other stories that go along with this. One of the stories is that um, Vermax actually made its way into the crypts and laid the eggs. Um, he laid the eggs there. Jace had them with him and left them behind. But the, the, the core of it is that for some reason, Jace left behind a dragon egg. Yeah, a car car snark. Many species of lizards can have uh, parthenogenic birth, females hatching viable offspring without a male. Same root word is used for immaculate conception. Yeah, it's basically Jurassic Park. That was the whole thing about how the the uh, the dinosaurs were able to um, mate, even though they were all female, I think. Essentially, they used, I think the story goes that they used frog DNA in order to fill in the gaps, and sometimes frogs can change genders when they're off in order to keep the, the um, population going. That's basically what happened here. Um, so, yeah, let's go into the story of the dragon eggs themselves. The Pact of Ice and Fire was definitely signed. So what what's going on here? So why would you leave dragon heads dragon eggs behind as Jace Valarion? Well, it does raise a good question that the Targaryens almost without fail gave nobody eggs. They didn't want anybody to have a dragon egg. And in fact, um, when you look at even stories like Duncan Egg, Blood Raven goes out of his way to go and reacquire Lord Butterwell's dragon egg um, by any means necessary at the. Uh, attorney at um, White Walls. The whole story of Reyna versus J of Jaehaerys and the thing that drove them apart, like really drove them apart, was the theft of the dragon eggs by um, by Alyssa Farman selling them to Bravos. Like that was a big fucking issue. The Targaryens never let these eggs go. They, they have like specific people on Dragonstone whose job is just to guard them and raise the dragons. They do everything they can to make sure nobody else can have them but them because the dragons as um, actually uh, San Rixian saying in the in the chat, the eggs are power. The ability to have a dragon and a dragon rider is is the, basically the basis of their power. And giving it away for just to get the support of Lord Stark seems like way over the top. There's like there's no way. Maybe maybe there's no way. So let's take this story a little seriously. Let's talk about the whole marriage thing. If Jace actually did marry Sarah Snow. And let's say perhaps he uh, he got her pregnant. Actually, Nessie brought this up in the chat. I was about to get there, but um, unspun yarn. Nessie, she brought this up. What if the dragon egg was a bastard son or a bastard child? What if Jace got her pregnant? Well, that would be leaving behind a dragon egg, wouldn't it? Um, we see that sort of language used quite a lot throughout uh, A Song of Ice and Fire where baby, where young Targaryens are compared to eggs. I mean, we literally have Duncan Egg. That's like a basic thing. Um, that's a that's a well-known um, literary trick that George uses all the time. Young Targaryens are eggs. So if you left behind a dragon egg, well, that would make that would make quite a lot of sense, wouldn't it? I mean, the story goes that they had sex and got married real fast. So you assume they didn't just do it once. They probably did it quite a lot. They are horned up teenagers. Um, so perhaps the the dragon egg was a bastard um, Stark and Targaryen slash strong that was left behind. Um, that could be the root of the story because 
that's this there are a lot of places in winterfell where you can like hide stuff and where especially in the crypts where there's secrets to be uncovered but nowhere has there been said anything about a dragon egg in the crypts there's no hint that the if the lords of winterfell have dragon eggs certainly hasn't been passed down to any of the any of the starks we know ned never thinks about it bran doesn't think about it john doesn't know about it if it's there it's super well hidden in which case it is functionally it doesn't matter um it's probably not there but yeah a, a bastard child especially because we know that the strongs uh through alice rivers near the end of the dance of the dragons did the same thing with Aemon one eye where she got pregnant by him and essentially was planning to use that child to um maybe be a dragon rider or something like that and restart how strong with herself as the matron of it and maybe push the family even further um now we don't have fire and blood part two so if there if there is a sarah snow and if she was pregnant this doesn't come up anywhere but it doesn't mean it didn't happen um it doesn't mean that there was not a quote-unquote dragon egg left behind with sarah in the north that would make a lot of sense it'd be cool i haven't really it'd be interesting to go back and try and find um maybe some hint of this with certain characters like is there somebody that's in the winterfell well, it's the other problem is 200 years later. This all happened in like 120 something AC. So the if there is an offspring of Jace Valarion with Sarah Snow, still some descent of them still alive in Winterfell. Well, it would be quite a long ways to get there. Um, I don't even know how you track it down. And especially because George made up the story pretty late. Um, Fire and Blood came out after the release of A Dance with Dragons. So any any way that you would essentially retcon a Targaryen Stark bastard in Winterfell would would have to be done in the future books, if it matters at all, which it might not. Um, let's see here. Uh, the other reason, let, let's say it's not a metaphor, metaphorical um, dragon egg. Let's say it's a real one. Let's say Vermax did actually get rid of, did have an egg, and Jace gave it over to Kree, and well, why would he do that? Well, along with the idea that the marriage and perhaps a child, it may have been essentially a bribe to let Jace out of his wedding vows to um, Sarah Snow to essentially keep it under wraps because he was supposed to be married um, to, hang on a second, I forget who this is, Jace Valarion. I think he was due to be married to Damon's daughter. Um, hang on a second, let me find the betrothal here. Actually, I think I just said it. Hang on a second. It must be up in my notes. Bela. So that's Bela. I believe that is Damon's daughter. Yeah, Bela Targaryen, child of Damon and Lena Valarion. So it would actually be quite a problem if, let's say, Dame, if uh, Jace was married out of wedlock, I mean, was married without permission of anybody to this bastard girl from the north. So you could see maybe a dragon egg being a bribe to not only keep it quiet, but also to be like, okay, so this marriage never happened, right? Right, Cregan? This never happened? And then Cregan goes, yeah, sure, it never happened. But I have a couple of requests. And then you get these extraordinary um, terms that Cregan gets out of, this, out of the Targaryens. Nobody else gets these. Cregan is either the best negotiator in the world, or he knows a secret that Jace doesn't want getting out. And this would be a pretty good secret. Um... So the and this is one of those things that's important to think about for a long time in Targaryen history, they did not really want daughters marrying outside of the family, um, especially because there was a perception that for some reason, the female Targaryens had something to do with dragon eggs 
um, hatching them or being around them in some way. It, they were kind of losing touch on the exact magical mechanics of hatching them. So giving away a daughter um, was something they didn't really want to do almost ever. Um, very, very rarely did they. And it was much more common for the sons to take um, non-Targaryen wise, but not so much the other way. So this whole promise of his firstborn daughter, this also is interesting if you think about it in terms of the Heron structure. So Rhaena's claim or Rhaenyra's claim is basically that she's allowed to inherit because Viserys said so, essentially undoing the Great Council of 101, okay? Which makes cognatic primogeniture the rule of the realm for the throne. So when you look at these terms, it's like, oh, well, he's giving away his firstborn daughter. Who cares? Well, we just saw a scenario where the ruling monarch only had a daughter left and she's trying to become queen. So this is a sneaky way for the Starks to maybe end up on the Iron Throne if um, if this war goes very badly or if quite a lot of them die in the Civil War or if it's just Jace left over and maybe he only has one daughter who's now married to the, the heir to Winterfell. This is a, it's a great move, especially considering the the change in inheritance structure that Rhaenyra is proposing. Yeah, Bela was Bela and Reyna were awesome. The the twin sisters. I think they were twin sisters. Um, it, yeah, and as uh, Nessie just said, it's also a big problem with the dragon riding dream, uh, gene. This would af effectively allow the Starks going forward, like you're playing Crusader Kings two or something like that, to have a member of their house that would be, in theory, capable of being a dragon rider rather than the Targaryens. Like, this basically doesn't happen anywhere else. The only members of Westerosi society that are dragon riders are the Valarians and the Targaryens, at least until, um, you know, Ulf the White and, uh, God, what's his name? The other shithead, <laughs> who are uh, pretty clearly bastard child of the Targaryens. Um, and uh, Nettles as well, but Nettles is her own weird case. Um, you know, the, the whole incesty thing of the Targaryens was a large part of it was, it seems to keep the bloodline pure magically and also like politically. So they were totally okay. Marrying brothers and sisters, uncles and nieces, cousins, first cousins and stuff like that. It seems largely to make sure the dragon riding and the egg hatching didn't get out. And it would be, if you consider the fact that Cregan would be getting a Targaryen uh, daughter-in-law. Well, you can see it also maybe drive the bargain even further and say, send a dragon egg with her so that there can be a northern dragon that they can have their own power. And this is one of those things where you think about it. The stories of Jace are essentially him being um, kind of headstrong and foolish, but brave, kind of like Dunk and not really thinking things through and him getting totally outsmarted by Cregan and ending up promising to give away maybe the heir to the Iron Throne and a dragon would kind of make sense, especially if Cregan was taking advantage of the whole um, Jace and Sarah Snow thing. That would be that would be something very interesting. Um, but the problem with that, of course, is if there's a dragon egg, nope, nobody knows where it is. It's um, there's there's a lot of hints that there's a dragon under Winterfell. Most of them seem to be pointing and said to John rather than a physical egg. But you never know. Maybe like in Cregan Stark's tomb, there's a dragon egg or something like that. That would seem kind of weird though. Like most houses keep their the relics like that somewhere where the Lord of Winterfell would know and it would be a prized object, like an heirloom. You don't have to keep it secret unless you're worried about someone stealing it, but who's gonna steal it in the north? So I don't know. 
if there's an egg, I, I doubt there's actually a physical egg, but, you know, sending a daughter uh, from House Targaryen who may be the heir to the Iron Throne, they're, they are typically, uh, I think Reyna started the tradition of giving them eggs in their cribs and until they were older. So even if you, even if he didn't actually give Vermax his egg, it's very likely that whoever this daughter was would come with a dragon too. Um, let's grab a couple of questions I got from, uh, from Twitter and Patreon earlier on. Uh, Nicola says that marriage with Sarah Snow marries, uh, mirrors Rhaegar and Lyanna. Yeah, I was going to, yep, definitely. I'm going to get to that in a little bit, but there's definitely this, um, the whole Targaryen first man, um, heritage person being married and then running away together and doing something stupid and there being major consequences for that is a recurring pattern. Um, so let's see here. Uh, Eric Forig asks, how do you evaluate mushroom and the other fictional authors such historians and universe, do you like George's approach to universe's history? Okay. So George in his own stories loves casting doubt on the stories that he considers true. Like this is a big thing with Septim Barth. Basically no one in story thinks Septim Barth is right, but he probably is most of the time. And sort of the same thing happens with Mushroom where a lot of his stories sound inconceivable and over the top until you remember A Song of Ice and Fire proper and you're like, wow, Cersei and Jaime really were banging and cuckolding King Robert. Wow, Rob Stark really did essentially have sex with Jane Westerling and get married sort of in a maybe a reference here to Sarah Snow and uh, Jace Velaryon, where it's like characters do do stupid things and they they're not just like purely logical and intelligent. Sometimes they are horned up. Sometimes they are young and passionate. Sometimes they don't think about what they're doing and that's just being human. So Mushroom's story being ridiculous is like, it's sort of a trap because it's like, well, no way that would ever happen. Well, it's like, do you know people? Because if you do, then maybe you should give Mushroom's stories a little bit of credence because really dumb things happen. <laughs> um, although personally, I don't really like his uh, history trick. The... Um, the giving you the three perspectives and then making you choose between them to know what happens just because like it'd be nice if there was i just want to know what happened some ways like i don't always want to do a puzzle while i'm reading to figure out like the physical actions that happened to characters especially when it's something like the pact of ice and fire or something like that i would just like to know the story it would be more interesting to me personally to read it as prose rather than this historical game he plays which i understand that it's supposed to be um realistic and he's explained this when he's talking about fire and blood i get it i get it george uh i am just not a fan i would rather read these stories just as he writes duncan egg or a song of ice and fire that would be more fun with for me um but yeah i as readers you should probably give mushroom more credence especially when i went through and read that quote about mushroom where george instantly then oh sorry george then instantly had the uh, the um oh god who is it it's um who wrote fire and blood i think it's Kildane. he instantly goes oh my god mushrooms always wrong there's no way this is true i knew jace Valarion, even though he really didn't and it's like none of this is true and he's like okay well he probably did banger but they definitely didn't get married and he does that kind of stuff all the time um so yeah believe mushroom more than the other guys but um yeah not not a, not a huge fan but I, I know it's I I know that's the point of what he's doing. You're not supposed to know it's supposed to be uncertain, but I don't reach George George's works. I don't read his writing for uncertainty. I don't read it for um, like real history. I read it because he's an amazing author and I love his characters and the way they interact with each other. So it is personally frustrating for me. I wish he had written it differently, but, you know, 
Them's the breaks. Everyone likes different things. Uh, Gurm is at his best when he's writing inside characters' heads rather than trying to write fake history. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, Fire and Blood is very interesting because it, like, it has a lot of really good stories and character moments that are, like, interspersed with this history game that I am not a huge fan of. Uh, super chat from Daniel B. Uh, $5. Thank you. Very, very generous. Um, could Jason Sarah's kid have joined the Night's Watch? Very likely. Very, very likely. Um, there's a long history of of uh, first men bastards finding their way to the wall. Um, there's also there does end up being some northerners that make their way to Essos. Um, there's the children of Artos, the implacable. His two sons end up forming a um, a sellsword company in Essos, something wolves or something like that. But the wall would be probably the place. But it's also possible that. Um, they stayed in Winterfell itself and, and eventually just became part of the household. Um, the Starks, as Ned's example shows, um, very much were into making, into integrating bastards into the family itself rather than essentially making them outcasts. Good question though. Uh, what happened to the, happened to this theoretical child? Very, very interesting. It almost, in a way, mirrors Jon Snow. I, th I think that's the, the overwhelming idea you're supposed to be getting from the pact of ice and fire in the story in the story of jace and sarah snow that it very much reads like Rhaegar and liana so there's it's very possible that there was a character very like john in winterfell and maybe they'll show up at some point especially in fire and blood too um this bastard who didn't know his father and lived in winterfell essentially as a parallel that would that i wouldn't be i wouldn't be surprised if that's what george was doing is doing with this possibility oh another one from Daniel B. Um, if he did join the Night's Watch, could he be related to Mance? Absolutely. Especially if he's got that strong blood. There's quite a long history of Night's Watch Rangers forgetting their vows in Molestown, but also beyond the wall. So um, it's very likely that there is a secret Stark Targaryen um, lineage out beyond the wall or around it in Molestown. And since George, I, I don't really love the idea that all your characters have to be essentially um of particular bloodlines are magical but george does george loves that so mance being a descendant of of that union would be certainly the kind of thing he would do um maybe torment maybe his family um maybe jarl or the um or vala and dala um their their targaryen is features their valyrian features kind of come out of nowhere especially val so I mean, John came out with dark hair. Jace had brownish hair. We don't know what Sarah Snow looked like, but it's certainly possible. Sometimes it happens where even with dark-haired Targaryen or Valyrian parents, that the blonde hair just comes up out of nowhere. Like Val certainly does have highborn uh, characteristics to her, so certainly possible. There's a lot of retconning George could do if he decides that the two of them actually did have a child, especially since Sarah Snow essentially disappears from the history. So. He's left himself a big, big hole in history if he wants to write to it. Um, um, Ned's treatment of John was not unique. Uh, we know of Brandon Snow, who was uh, Torn the King who knelt. Uh, Brandon was allowed to essentially stay in Winterfell, became Torn's basically right-hand man. Uh, we have the story of Sarah Snow. Um, there's other snows throughout history in the story of Winterfells that essentially got the same treatment as John. Actually, most of them got better treatment than John, where they were... Um, essentially members of the family rather than exiled to go live with their their mothers or their fathers out somewhere. Also, there's the Winter Town, which very well could be populated with Stark bastards. You never know. Uh, let me read up here. Um, 
yeah i i know people love reading history and for them um fire and blood was awesome because it was like a simulation of that in your favorite universe totally get it not for me um yeah jay moray brandon snow was effectively hand of the king yeah he went to negotiate with aegon the conqueror so it's not like the first time ever that a, that the starks empowered their bastards it seems like they did it quite often um so we got about uh 40 minutes to go um actually it's probably a good time to start throwing out questions i didn't prepare as much as i usually do so i'm going to read some of the patron and twitter questions grab some from the chat send through some super chats or whatever uh We'll finish this one out strong and then we'll spend all afternoon <laughs> in the patron slack on Twitter getting hammered and enjoying the downfall of Donald Trump. <clears throat> um, well, there's probably one of Brandon's illegitimate children, Guilty Undertaker, in the Dreadfort, where there was. Uh, so let's see here. So we got one from Eric. Let's grab one from Ramona. Um, as Prince Jaceres, as any respectable Targaryen princess's son, is in fact a strong bastard. Well, he is, yeah. Does this make the pact more a pact of ice and fire? More of a pact of ice and fire and whatever these tall, lusty, strong guys bring to the table. Something that could prevent ice and fire to annihilate each other. As they tend to mix so much in the story and the bloodline, I kind of see the Strongs as an important family in the story after the Targaryens and the Starks. Well, the Strongs are very important in Fire and Blood. Um, they definitely come to the forefront. Um, you see generation after generation of the Strongs, despite being a minor family, from the Riverlands, being hugely important in court life, being hands of the kings, being masters of whisperers, breakbones, obviously, hooking up with Rhaenyra. Um, so I guess you're asking, is there a more meta level to this? The idea that the Strongs and the Targaryens are joining with the Starks. Um, I like to think so. Um, I don't know if it means like anything magical in particular. Like it doesn't seem like the Strongs have any sort of skin changing gene. That's not a part of their story. Um, but it could be interesting in terms of when you're thinking about prophecies. So, and the way they are highly symbolic and they're hard to understand, it's possible that um, the introduction of the Strongs into the um, into this line could have, because prophecy was going on the whole time. Like we don't really hear about it, but Alice Rivers was practicing essentially prof prophetic visions at this time. And there would have been others. There's obviously a three-eyed raven going on, um, not Blood Raven, whoever his predecessor was, or or just the Children of the Forest, who are still trying to interpret these visions, things in the fire, and that kind of thing. So it could be interesting in terms of if we see some more visions in Fire and Blood, um, in Fire Blood Part Two, whenever that comes out, um, maybe something about the Strongs. Like for instance, their sigil is the river. Um, it's the three. It's the three forks. Of the trident so if you if we start seeing imagery about that with um wolves and dragons that could be something to look out for um but you can kind of see them if you wanted to as sort of the the strongs in this situation being the the bridge between the targaryens and the starks because it's largely it seems like jace's um personality that he inherited from his father breakbones that allowed him to make fast friends with cregan and also apparently desiring to hook up with Sarah Snow. So it really is it really is the strongs that made this happen, even though um, maybe not directly. Thank you for the question, though. Good one. Um, let's see here. Yeah. Um, Kate says, I think the quotes Catelyn's from Catelyn Starks were not like other men in regards to their bastards. Pretty good answer. Yeah, I, I think definitely the Starks and Northmen treated their bastards very differently than uh, the rest of the rest of the West of Westeros or at least at least outside the north. Um, Oh, Jay Moray says, I wonder if Blood Raven's sisters led to everything, anything. Unfortunately, George basically does not write what happens to sisters in A Song of Ice and Fire for the most part. 
Um, so just like Aegon the Fourth's or Aegon the Fifth's children and the other bastards from Aegon the Fourth, Blood Raven's sisters, they're probably not going to go anywhere. I wish they would, but do not. Uh, C. Bob says, what do you think the significance of Jon Snow being a Jack Frost name parallel? Um, kind of, I guess. Like, I guess Jack can sometimes be a nickname for Jon, and they both have like snowy names, I guess. But I don't know. I, I doubt that's the reference. It's, um... You could have just named him Jack. You didn't have to name him John if you wanted to make the par the parallel stronger. And also, like the story of Jack Frost seems more like the something like the Night King, and John's not the Night King. So be interesting if uh, if the name of the Night King was Jack Snow, that would be more interesting to me, especially since his name was uh, erased from history. And Jack is a name in Westeros, but not among the Starks. That's one of those things I did a long time ago. Is I went down their family tree because it said that the Night King's name was expunged from history which probably makes it an evil name, which means there's probably wouldn't be one in the House Stark. I was like, what northern names aren't being used by them? Jack is kind of one of them. Although that, that's uh, that's more southern name. That's, that's like Blackjack Bulwar. So um, I hope we get more Alice Rivers too. Oh, Sarah, you did a question about how strong Sigil on the Citadel of Trivia last night. Uh, what was the question? Hey, thank you, uh, Mears, Mears and me. Um, I'm, I'm glad we'll be joining the world of at least competence rather than abject failure in leadership. Um, yeah, Blackjack Bulwer. He's from the, he's from the reach though. Um, let's see here. I'll only grab one from Twitter. Um, uh, K2Cath, um, we believe is in the chat as Egret Targaryen. Uh, did the pact introduce the electoral college into Westeros? No, Westeros are smart enough not to introduce such a stupid fucking system into their politics and make essentially make the election of leaders dependent on this weird group of dudes that essentially actually cast the ballots and our ballots don't mean anything. Um, Great Council of 101 basically, though, is the electoral college. That's essentially what they're doing. Um, although they don't take votes from anybody else. They just decide for themselves. Ugh. Great councils are stupid. They are bad. The precedents they set completely get ignored by the following monarchs and it essentially becomes like just a thing for lawyerly members of the, of the fandom to like go over. It's like, oh, well, which which method of inheritance now matters and how do you it's like it they end up ignoring it constantly. So like whatever. Um, God help us. The Electoral College is stupid. So are so is the Great Councils only slightly less stupid than um than primogeniture. So it's like we're going down. We're getting closer to <laughs> things that are reasonable. We're not out of the reasonable part that yet though, as we are still bound to the stupid system, at least in the US. By the way, if you guys are not from the US and you don't know what the Electoral College is, we don't vote for precedent. Americans do not vote for precedent. Um essentially what you do is you vote for electors and then your state chooses the electors and they go to Washington and then they actually vote for the president. Um, and they don't have to vote the way you did. There's a thing called faces electors where they can essentially just say, no, never mind. I'm going to vote for whoever I want. It's a really dumb system. We do not actually have direct direct democracy for the president. Popular vote doesn't matter. Yeah, uh, there's only popular vote for states. And but then from there, the electors can basically do whatever they want. They don't, but they could. Um, uh, only slightly less stupid than the great councils, basically. Um, that was my rant on the Electoral College. You are welcome. <laughs> uh, so the actual purpose of it was a real one. We're going to go into real politics for a little bit, I guess. Um, the Electoral College essentially was because 
the electors were so far, far apart because it was colonial times. Well, that's part of the reason. The other part is racism and making sure that um, power stayed where they wanted. But basically, um, there were no like voting happened at the speed of horses. So if you wanted to have the election at the same time, so like South Carolina could participate at the same time as Massachusetts, well, then you had to allow for time for the, um, the electors to get there to cast their votes. Uh, but the other reason is that also another fun fact about American politics, um, voting was originally limited to only land owning white males. So the Electoral College was essentially a way to override the will of the people to if they felt like it, elect whoever they felt like. So, yay, our system is amazing. <laughs> uh, a PayPal donation from uh, Sasuke, aka Sarah. Um, <laughs> she sent me <laughs> 369. Was it supposed to be 469? Oh, my God. Uh, I don't know, fully tipsy right now. Just want to say Hornt 2020. Okay, okay. There you go. Nobody should do an electoral college. The whole thing's stupid. Um, anyway, let's get back to the Pact of Ice and Fire. Do some of Song of Ice and Fire content. Um, well, uh, well, okay, so one last thing. Um, Kate, Women of Ice and Fire, like lots of states have laws against face electors like 35. Not all of them are binding. Some of them are just fines. And a lot of people that are electors are rich, so they don't give a shit. Um, there's only some of them where they legally have to vote the same way as the popular vote, but not all of them. And in fact, in most elections, there's always a few people that fuck it up. Like somebody voted for um, Al Gore once when he wasn't running for president. Um, it's it's very, very stupid. Uh, so let's grab another one from Eric. Eric Forig. He says, did Cregan's second marriage to the badass Blackwood bring back or reinforce reinforce Ward King traits of the Stark line? So um you have to do some explanation here. So the war king was an ancient king in in north who ruled from Sea Dragon Point, which is to the northwest of Winterfell and through the Wolfswood. And this was um, he was a war king. So he and all most of his followers were wargs. So they had wolves under their control that they used to fight the Starks. Actually, I secretly think this is where the Starks ended up getting their their war gene uh, because the Starks ended up fighting the war king, beating him and then taking all of his um, daughters and nieces and whatever um, for wives and then exiling, killing most of them and then exiling whoever's left. There's also the fact that the House Blackwood, uh, who very much seem like they could be ward kings with their raven cloaks and their weirwood sigil and the fact that they were run out of the north for unknown reasons thousands of years ago, seem like the Blackwoods are essentially descendants of the ward king or at least like maybe a bastard branch. Because a lot of the times when you see the word black in front of a name in Westeros, it can often indicate that it's a bastard family um, or a bastard member, a bastard branch or a bastard member of families. Like, for instance, there's Black Walder Frey or Black Walder. Um, but there's other characters like that. So some have suggested that the Blackwoods are the descendants of these war kings. Um, so did Cregan's second marriage to Black Alley Blackwood uh, bring back or reinforce war king traits to the Stark line? So people have been trying for a long time to figure out why Ned's, all of Ned's children and Lyanna's child, all are wargs. It kind of came out of nowhere. Um, there's not much indication. Well, part of the problem is the direwolves died out. So if they don't have direwolves to warg, or maybe the Starks just didn't notice they were wargs anymore. But there's also stories about Lyanna and Brandon essentially being like supernatural horse riders. And some have suggested that maybe that's the skin changing gene. Um, perhaps. 
it's it's one of those questions that comes up a lot. Like I've heard so heard suggestions that all the Starks ended up wargs because of Catelyn, because of her connection to House Went, and um, the theory that they're skin changers or the Lostins through Mad Donnell or something like that. Um, but the problem is, of course, that Lyanna also had one child who happened to be not only a warg, a very powerful warg. So it seems to not to be coming just from Catelyn's side. It seems to be coming from the Stark side and all of them, or at least Liana and Ned. Um, possible that Brandon was as well. Uh, it doesn't seem like Benjen is. Maybe he was the unlucky member of the family, but um, so was this marriage the thing that essentially got the Starks back to being skin changers, like um, sort of like in a Targaryen incesty way that they reintroduced a skin changing gene and all of a sudden they're all skin changers now. Um, it could be, but this was also a, a long time before that. This wasn't recent. Cregan married um, Black Alley in like 130 or 140 AC, and it's like 150 years later. That's And there's been like four or five Stark Lords between then and now. So if that's what did it, perhaps. But there's also obviously the connection that Bloodraven is the, the merging of the Targaryens in the Blackwoods, and he's like the most powerful skin changer in the world outside of Bran. So maybe there is some latent magic in the Blackwood family. Um, I know Robert, aka Indie Geek, has gone deep into figuring this out, and he's been like going down family trees and trying to figure out if it was the Blackwoods that make Bloodraven so powerful, or was it the Targaryens, or some sort of special mix to it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, George really, really loves magical bloodlines. It's like his favorite thing to write about. If he wrote, <laughs> if he wrote the last movie of Star Wars, he would have Rey be a Palpatine. He loves that stuff. He would not like uh, Ray from nowhere. That would not be his favorite. So um, this certainly is an opportunity for the Blackwood uh, bloodline to go back into the Starks and maybe cause an explosion of them. Um, Trout works. What? Oh, the Tullys were. <laughs> yeah, the Tullys are just like skin changing fish. How boring. <clears throat> well, there are. Um, there's the Farwinds that are said to be able to skin change walruses, I think. So it's not like you can't skin change a fish or well. Maybe you can only skin change mammals, but then there's dragons, and are they being skin changed? I don't know. Maybe George has a mammal-only idea to it. Yes, Daisy. A sexplosion. Uh, it seems to be they're just in this one generation with Ned and Lyanna and probably Brandon, maybe Benjen, that all of a sudden the Starks became wargs again. This is before the return of the dragons, so it's probably genetic. Um, Black Alley makes sense as a, as a vector for that. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, here, I'm just checking PayPal. Okay. The Eagles. Uh, that's right. I forgot about that. Wait, are the Aaron skin changers? I don't know. They call themselves the wing knights, but who knows? Oh, that's right. The Ravens. So it's not just mammals. That makes sense. That was a foolish thing to say. I blame the mimosas and the beer. Good call, everybody. You got me saying something stupid as per usual. Yeah. So, um, who knows? Maybe the Tully's being skin changers, just like trout. Oh, that'd be so boring. Although Odell Down Under, I don't know if you guys ever played that game um, where you essentially played as like fish in a river and you were trying to like work your way up the food chain or something like that. I love that game. And there was the ocean one uh, where you could play as sharks and stuff or you could play as cuttlefish. Oh, that was those were the best games. I had a low bar for fun games when I was a kid. <laughs> Still do, actually. Um, are whales mammals? Yes, they are. Anybody remember that name? O game Odell Down Under? Uh, what beer am I drinking today? Good question. Uh, so I got myself some... Oop, hang on a second. Some Vian Steppenfonder. 
I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, a a vice beer from Bavaria, one of my favorites. I need to look this up. Oh, down, down under. It's actually you can probably still find it. Yeah. Oh, that was such a good game. 1995, made by MECC, the educational game. Odell Lake, that's it. Uh, San Rixian, $5. Thank you, Mallory. What kind of warg would I be? Um, good question. So I have never had any pets except for some fish. So my brother had, I lived with my brother for a while and he had a couple cats, but I wasn't a huge fan. Um, so I guess I would be basic and probably say a dog. Um, dogs seem great. Dogs are the best. When I meet them, I always have fun with them. So we seem to get along. So I, I would guess a, I guess I would be a warg. Since wargs can uh, skin change into dogs and wolves and dire wolves, everyone likes talking about like the crazy mystical animals they would war. But I don't, have, I don't really have any connections to a lot of animals like that, except for cheetahs. Cheetahs are awesome. Gotta love cheetahs. Oh, you played it on the school computer lab. Remember computer labs? Oh, that was amazing. Um, yeah, the Odell games, the lake, and down under were just amazing. An Oregon Trail. That's right. All those terrible. Uh, well, no, not terrible. Awesome games. The educational ones that you play on floppy disks and heart and um and those actual floppy disks those giant ones oh man i'm i'm dating myself cheetahs were my favorite animal growing up um uh so let's grab one from twitter uh carly at miss loaf on twitter says to my understanding a child of ice and fire is important they would be mixing old god magic with valyrian magic but considering the targaryens have already married other first men houses like the Blackwoods, what about a Stark Targaryen union would be so important? So that's a, that's a great point. So Bran is not uh, Bran's going to be the most powerful skin changer in the world. He is the most powerful skin changer in the world. Arya seems to be right behind him, and they are not Valyrians in the slightest. They are just they are Tully and uh, Stark. So yeah, what what makes the Stark Targaryen union? so powerful why does it seem so important and i think the reason is not like practical i don't think it's the idea that it's like oh it totally if you could skin change a wolf and a dragon at the same time be unstoppable and blow down the world i don't think it's like anything like that i think it has to do with um with prophecy and i think it has to do with um identifying people in the future that are going to be important um that the idea of the song of ice and fire the idea of john being you know, the blue rose and the wall of ice um, that it, it's it's basically just a way for people that are looking at prophecy in, in George's story to try and identify this this character, this person they're looking for is or come again or whatever. Um, I hope you enjoyed my my awesome voice. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that's basically it. I don't think there's anything like super magically powerful about John that makes him unique in the world. I mean, actually not. He's only been able to skin change one animal. He's not even really in control of it. He's not a dragon rider at this point. Maybe he will be in the future. Um, so I, I think it has to do with more, again, with uh, prophecy and visions and essentially people in the past, probably Rhaegar, maybe Aemon, um, perhaps Melisandre in the, in the coming books, um, Ghost of High Heart that will be seeing visions of John symbolically and trying to figure out who he is. Maybe the others well, like in my Waymar Royce theory. Um, perhaps that's how the others perceive John in visions. Maybe they see a child of ice and fire and they've been, or like somebody that looks like John with ice and fire all around them. And they're trying to figure it out. Um, that, that would be my guess for why it's important, not for the particular magical stuff. Cause again, John is not, he's not the most powerful thing in the world. He's, he's just objectively not. So I don't think it has to do with 
anything to do with that. Uh, Ramona with the jokes. He will ride Danny anyway. Oh yeah, he's gonna ride that dragon. Some boat sex, right? Right? Boat sex? Everyone loves some boat sex. Um, I'm glad I'm starting this conversation. Oh, the Carmen San Diego game was was cool. There's also that one with like Mario Brothers where you were in like different parts of the world trying to find her. I don't remember. Um, I played a lot of crappy games when I was a kid because all the games were crappy. Uh, let's grab another one here. Uh, Ramona put one in the in the Patreon. Um, ah, so here we go. I see a parallel between RLJ and J plus S equals Secret Child. Uh, so that's Jason, Sarah. Um, I wonder if the parallels end here. Jace is a strong bastard. Is Rhaegar a bastard also, as Aaron often, Ares often implies? Um, not to mention the Chekhovian Sir Bonifer's presence in the story. I know the guy looks dick, but uh, could Bonifer Hasty be one of Dunk's secret bastards? So, in, just in general, the parallels between Jace Valarian, Sarah Snow, and these other characters, like I was talking about earlier, is, is pretty strong. It's strong. See what I did there? Um, yeah, I've, I've had a little bit to drink. Um, you know, uh, Jenny of Old Stones and Duncan, Prince of Dragonflies, obviously Rhaegar and Lyanna, um, John and Egret, probably John and Danny in the future. Um, it is a well, well-established and recurring pattern for George in his story that he really likes the idea of these sort of youngish, naive characters pulling a Romeo and Juliet and, um, Saying, fuck the world, we're going to be together, we love each other, screw the consequences. And then the consequences being very severe, being very, very severe, much more. I mean, it's, it's already severe in Romeo and Juliet, but George takes it to another level. Like wars start because of these things, like kingdoms burn, tens of thousands die. Um, but the, the basic idea of it is just that all that stuff can sometimes not matter if, you're, if your passion takes control, if you're... If you follow uh, not your head, but your heart or your head a little bit south. Um, so also the, the idea that maybe Bonifer is strong is, I mean, who knows? There's so many strongs out there. That's sort of the point. I mean, Luca Moore alone had 13 kids or something like that. And then they essentially get sent off around the kingdoms to live out their lives. It's implied that uh, a couple bastard houses of the Baratheons came from these kids that went to go stay in Storm's End. Some were sent to house strong. Um, in the, at Harrenhal, uh, I forget where the other ones went, but they, they essentially just spread out and considering George has this recurring pattern of the strongs essentially being a horned up to the max, like there could be hundreds of them, thousands, who knows? It's, um, it's one of those things where George essentially, you have to look for the, the personality he puts on them or the physical markers, or at least the language, like thick of the castle wall is a constant one, the giant number of children, the extreme horniness basically paired with martial prowess. Those are generally the um, the markers he puts on them. So if you want to find more strongs out there, the secret strongs in Westeros, that's basically how I went through them. Um, yeah, 13 that we know about. Who, who, who knows how many they actually had? And 13 kids plus 200 years plus all those generations. It just it's it just spreads exponentially. There's there can be so many of them walking around Westeros. And that's actually the joke I made in my video about Robert Strong, where it's like, why did nobody question it? It's like, well, this probably happens all the time. Loads of people could probably claim reasonably to be a strong if they wanted to. Oh, another super chat here from Daniel B. I'm a huge Rob fan, which consider doing a live stream of Storm of Swords or even Rob specifically. Well, I'm going to be doing a video after the next ones. I've decided it's going to be about um, Rob and Lady Stoneheart. So if you're looking for Rob Stark content. 
um, look out for that. That'll be coming soon. Soonish. Uh, Robert had 16 bastards. Lucamar had 16 or something like that. It, the number's huge. That's multiple partners constantly knocking them up. That seems to be the whole strong way. <laughs> so makes you wonder who in George's life growing up is this person? Does he know somebody like in his high school or did he have a friend that essentially like by the time he was 18 had like six kids or something like that? Like, is there some dude down in Jersey that um, some dude down in uh, down in Jersey where George is from who essentially has like 15 kids? I wouldn't be surprised. He borrows a lot of characters from his real life, um, especially these archetypes. The archetypes really seem to come from people he knew. Uh, Where is he from again? Uh, George R. R. Martin. Bayonne, Bayonne, New Jersey. So yeah, maybe there's a guy in Bayonne with like 20 kids and that's who George is talking about. Um, yeah, the age of love. <laughs> Ask George if he knew somebody growing up that had like 17 kids. I bet he does. I bet he does. Somebody in Bayonne, like uh, maybe some guy down at the bar or uh, one of his father's longshoremen friends or something like that. 16 children. I'm sorry, I got the numbers wrong. Um, so we only got like uh, nine minutes left. I burned through my questions. I burned through my my uh, outlines. So yeah, let's finish this one off strong before I end up spending the rest of the afternoon getting drunk very and very, very happy. So throw it out there. Tag me, whatever you want. Let's do this. Let me refresh. Okay. Uh, let me scroll up. Um, oh, $5 here from uh, Amy Blackfire. Thank you, Amy. Very generous. Fire and Blood's my favorite. I get you don't like the style, but tell me my favorite part in the book. My favorite part in the book is the hmm well there's there's kind of two answers to this my favorite part like in general as kind of like a theme is the the rising of how strong the way he writes them the way they keep showing up the like lara strong and break bones and um and their father and what happens with uh break bones kids and alice rivers um with Amon, all that stuff is super fascinating to me i love the way he wrote that as just like a minor thing to pick up on um, and to sort of understand what he's doing with them. But I think my favorite like actual part of the book would probably be the battle over the God's eye with Alice Rivers looking on pregnant over the um, like standing on a tower of Harrenhal with like her hair whipping behind her. That's when he goes from history back into prose and he writes just a, a beautiful scene. The action's amazing. The dragon fight itself, the aftermath. The way Alice rules as witch queen afterwards. I think that's probably my favorite part. Thank you for the super chat. Oh, it looks like 500. I don't know why it doesn't put the period in there. It should. Um, something about OBS. Maybe it's the font I'm using or something like that. Although $500 super chat, that would be something. <laughs> that would be that would, that, that would buy a lot of beer. Um, Marie Teresa of Austria had 16 kids. Yikes. A lot of kids. George needs some dude named Vito. Like 32 kids. I wouldn't doubt it. Um... Uh, Reuven Radmetcher, is that the same dude that boned all the married women? Luca Moore boned all the women. Doesn't matter if they were married or not. He just, he went to town. He was slamming up and down King's Landing and across the Seven Kingdoms. Also, Dunk. Dunk is very likely has something like 16 kids too. Uh, every book he almost gets laid or does, so George has more to go. Um... Uh, Manju Bum, do you think the solution to the story will be the death of all magics? I like to think people and magic can coexist. Well, that's that's one of those things that's kind of like, um, kind of overhyped in the story itself. Like, is magic gone? Fire magic was gone, but definitely not ice magic and definitely not children of the forest magic. Um, because the fire magic seemed to be tied to the dragons. So I don't think it will end with the death of all magics. At the very least, the old gods will survive. Maybe the ice magic will go out of the world. 
Um, perhaps, I don't know if all the dragons are going to survive the story. I mean, Game of Thrones had only Drogon make it to the end. I mean, the other two being named after Viserys and Rhaegar is not a, a strong sign. But also, Drogon's named after Drogo, so... I don't know, maybe George will end it with the dragons dying. That would suck. Um, but it kind of depends what old King Bran wants. Um, John X through Moodnor says John X Satin versus John X Danny. Which ship is superior? Why is it John X Satin? Um, well, I guess if you're going by the books, John and Danny have not met. So at least John and Satin have met. So just in terms of like literally being on the page, I guess you have to go with John versus Satin. Although George is very much priming both of them to fall in love with each other very quickly. Um, grandfather was the youngest of 16. Yikes! A lot of kids. Um, let's see here. How many paragraphs would a $500 super chat yield? Um, what do you mean paragraphs? Like how off, how much I would talk? Uh, well, it would stay up there for the rest of the stream. I don't know. I don't think I've ever gotten a super chat over 50. I think. What's her name? Um, oh God, I forget her name. Um... There's, there's some, there's one member of the fandom who's very, very generous with their super chats and often gives like a hundred dollars or something like that. Um, can't quite place the name, but I think that was the most I ever got in one go. I don't know. I, I'd probably be too overwhelmed to talk if I, if that happened. Um, Ramona, I bet Luca more boned Alsane too. I agree. Sir Dunk Funks. Yes, he does. Morally, that's it. Sorry. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Laura7n, how do we help Stacey Abrams get the vote for the runoff? This isn't over. We need those seats. Um, oh, there should be some good charities out there because as I talked about earlier, George is going to have two runoff elections for control of the Senate. Assuming it, it doesn't look like the guy in Alaska is going to win, but he says he does. If he doesn't, then um, if the Democrats take both George's seats, it would be 50-50 tie with Kamala breaking it as the president of the Senate. So... Um, I, I don't know if you guys know any uh, funds for Stacey Abrams and um, voting in Georgia, you know, drop them in the chat. Uh, I know Aaron. Oh, yeah, there she is. She's talking about it right now. Uh, Georgia's going to donate. Uh, she's going to donate $20 every week until the runoff to a different Georgia charity. That's great. They need it more than I do. Um, I mean, there's going to be like something like a billion dollars thrown at that, but there's specific groups that probably could use it more than others. Um, uh, let's see here. John Satin fanfic exists. Well, there's fanfics of everything. I'm pretty sure there's fanfic for Jeff and Emmett from Not a Cow, so. Wait, Morley isn't here, is she? Did I misread Bernie's question? I don't think she's here. Um, I haven't seen her in chat for a long time. So it goes. Uh, people come and go. Um, I've never seen Lord, Lady Leaf Underhill. I've never seen Thor 300 anywhere. Uh, I see it on bigger streams sometimes. Like, um, not, not a song of ice and fire related, but like truly big channels when they do uh, live streams, they get giant sums of money. It's like, you just watch them going across the top and it's like, wow, that's more than I make in several months just for one stream. Um, didn't mean to make this the super chat answering thing. That was just a thing that came up. Um, also, uh, uh, this is something I was reading about on Twitter. If you want to also donate to other organizations, I know one of the big targets for, uh, 2022 is going to be, um, Mississippi and alabama and south carolina where they're in florida there's a lot of voter suppression in there um democrats are going to be trying to do the same thing in those states which have massive suppressed vote populations the same thing that was in georgia and i imagine stacy abrams will be involved with them along with the rest of her team so there'll be a um be a lot of places that'll need your support going forwards ship gemmet oh my god uh yeah youtube does take a big cut that's whatever it's um everybody takes a big cut it's not any better on twitch or anything like that it's um 
I mean, that's why I appreciate the PayPal ones because they essentially PayPal takes a much smaller amount, but it's harder to do. So I don't really care either way. Up to you guys. If you want to see your name across the top, or you want to see me look down on my phone and read it. It's, I mean, I'm trying to get it so it pops up on the screen, but it hasn't been working. Made something with OBS I haven't been doing. Um, I mean, I don't know. I'll try and investigate it. Um, last questions, you guys, before we get out of here. Um, I mean, I don't even get all the, the Patreon money. The Patreon takes a big cut out of that, too. So that's how it goes. Plus taxes. So oh, did we actually get to 150 likes anyway? <laughs> We're at 148. Slam that like button. Um, Gemmit. Yeah, it's a lot of shipping around that. Do you mean I don't know someone like that? Uh, I'm not sure what you mean, Anna Lima. Um, oh, we did hit 150. Hey, it worked out anyway. I worked from the beginning. What do you know? Uh, I'm woo. We got there anyway. <laughs> you guys slam it real fast. Maybe I'll put on the other one just for a couple minutes. Um, have I read a hundred years of solitude? No, I have not. You liked and unliked. Oh my god. Um, uh, Patreon takes more depending on um how many people you have and what services you give them. So it's plus they take taxes now. Oh, by the way, if you guys are my patrons, just remember I put out a message about this, but they are charging you taxes depending on where you live depending on what you're getting it's higher if you get physical goods which will matter going forwards i think i'm going to give you guys a coupon for like shirts and stuff like that once i launch them so yeah actually there's an incentive uh, to sign up for patreon uh like uh merch is gonna be coming up soon i think i'm gonna give you guys a coupon code or something like that so you can get it for much cheaper than um going forward so that should be a nice a nice gift back to you guys for all that you've done for me um the fireworms burrow into balerion Maybe. That was such a weird thing. Like, it was like giant claw marks going down his side, and Balerion was enormous. Um, I, th I thought it was meant to imply that there was still dragons in Valyria, and that there's a giant one there too, and that they fought, but Fireworms is also a good one. Um, I mean, the fact that um, Araya ended up with Fireworms inside of her indicates that maybe that's Fireworm, like a giant Fireworm that attacked Balerion. Um, giant dragon fireworm makes sense um oh last one last minute's uh, super chat coming through uh five pounds from rob thomas podrick Payne drinks when Tyrion asks Bran if she's a virgin after the fight against the dead oh is this about my um my podrick Payne video from back in the day the one with like four hundred thousand views or something like that at this point um so i don't i don't remember that scene exactly so essentially uh Tyrion is playing the never have i ever basically as Brianna, she's a virgin, and Podrick Payne drinks, meaning he's not a virgin. Is that that's what how it's supposed to work, right? Um, implying that he did get laid. Um, so in the in the in the show, this is a show only thing. He claims um that they did have sex and that they really really enjoyed it. I propose that nothing really happened. Or no, wait, what? What did I say? I forget. I wrote that so long ago. Um. Oh, so Pod is a virgin. So that would go to my idea that it was like that was a setup by Littlefinger essentially to get something on um on Tyrion at the time. Like Braun basically says that. He's like, hey, this sounds really fishy. Maybe you don't believe it, Tyrion. And Tyrion's like, oh, of course I believe this. I am in love with a sex worker, so therefore I believe it love can really bloom between people doing that. And it's like about that one. Strong virgin. Yeah, Bran is a virgin. Um I'd have to go back and look at that scene. I forget what exactly happens. And I forget my own theory because I made it so long ago. I'd have to go back and rewatch it. Um, anyway, uh, I think that's it for today. Um, had some good election talk, some shit talking to Trump, talking about the electoral college bullshit and um, popular vote is the way we should go. 
um, helping out um, political organizations, especially for the Georgia runoffs that are coming up. Um, again, if you guys want to support me, um, easiest way is just to leave a like, subscribe, leave a comment below. Actually, comment below um, if you're watching this back or just now, I guess. Um, do you think that Jason Sarah Snow had a child? And if so, where do you think they are? That'd be a good one. Give me your tinfoil. I want to read it. Um, yeah, hashtag gritty. Uh, also, you can support me on Patreon, patreon.com slash Joe Magician. Um, you get exclusive content like uh, episodes ahead of time. You get the uh, patron only stuff like the recent, well, recent relative, the Meat House Man episode um, with the merch stuff coming out. I'm probably going to give you guys coupons. So you get a bunch of money off uh, to buy them, at least like for the first round or something like that. Um, Super chats obviously are good. PayPal. Um, actually, I didn't post the link this time. My mistake. I forgot to do that. Um, yeah, it's a good day today. Um, have some champagne. Um, all you guys in the patron slack. I'll be seeing you in a bit in the cool and tanker. Have a good one.